0: Thanks for tuning in to the Survival to Thrival podcast based on the book series with the same name. I'm Helen Croydon and I'm the interviewer of the biggest stars of the show, the two co-authors Tehi Norm and Bob Tinker. Tehi and Bob are a duo of investor and entrepreneur. They have a long history of working together and have written two books together aimed at founders and entrepreneurs striving to build enterprise startups. This podcast is based on the themes, advice, and real-world stories from their book series, Survival to Thrival. If you enjoy this, please like it, subscribe, or share it with your network. Really excited to
1: say that this is a special episode to announce the new format for one of the key chapters of Bob and Tehi's book called Finding Go-To-Market Fit, and They've made it open source online in a very exciting way, which we're going to talk about today. So, Bob Tehi, whoever jumps in first, just tell me why have you done this?
2: So, our book one was the key feature topic was something called go to market fit, which we coined the term, and I, we were have been very pleased, very surprised with. We've gotten tons of engagement, tons of feedback. Um, People ask for tools. There's really almost like a community building around this go to market fit concept in terms of bridging the gap between finding product market fit and unlocking growth. And this was our response to be able to engage with the community, provide great content, and uh, uh, we're even sort of renaming it to unlock because it's really all about just unlocking growth.
1: Yeah, I love that title. So another
3: way of thinking about it, Helen, is uh, um, a- a- as people uh, uh, read book one, uh, they really liked it. We got very good feedback. They were talking about how that impacted the companies, but uh, th- everyone wanted more. They wanted more examples, more guidance, uh, more structure, more detail. And so we basically... You can think about it, it took like five to seven pages of, uh, of uh, the first book on how to find go-to-market fit, but we talked a lot about how to build a playbook and then ballooned it up to uh, probably about 80 pages and still growing online.
1: Yeah, because I've read it and it is so detailed. You know, I'd say this is more of a workbook. The, te- the first book was the textbook and this is like the workbook.
3: You're exactly right, Helen. It's to provide that uh, help in
2: execution. Tehi and I were thrilled at the reception that our concept of go-to-market fit had out in the startup community and business community. And there was a ton of gravity around the concept of go-to-market fit and how to implement this and do it at your startup or work on it at your company. But what we found was there was a frustration. There was a missing piece that... How do you take it from the concept of go to market fit to sort of concrete tools, examples, spreadsheets, PowerPoint slides, whatever it is to be able to implement it at your company? So the revision for this chapter that we're now open sourcing is really taking it from the concept of go to market fit to concrete examples, concrete tools and concrete capabilities that readers and uh, people and startups out there can take and use in their companies. Helen, as an example, uh, as one of the startups I've worked with on Go-To-Market-Fit, they took an early alpha version of this chapter, and their answer was, oh, my God, this is really good. This is the decoder ring. This is what we've been looking for. That's the kind of reaction, and that's the kind of opportunity that we really hope we can help not just with one or 10 or 20 or 50 or 100 companies, but thousands.
1: What was the section of the chapter that they read that made them say that?
2: There was two parts of it that really sank in for them. One was how do you organizationally set up and implement a go-to-market playbook to drive go-to-market fit? And the second part was the metrics for measuring and iterating and improving on it. Because for them, it was a really confusing topic. They got advice from lots of different people. And being able to see it all fit together, the light bulb went off.
1: Yeah, you know, it's brilliant because, you know, there are so many business how-to books out there and not enough practical ones. So what's also exciting about this is you've made it open source online as part of the com website. So tell me about that. It's quite a unique format that you've created.
2: Well, look, software the software world's changing, the B2B world's changing, where, you know, there's great products that are being built that are open source. And that's a you know, great way to engage and build a community. Uh, we asked ourselves, why not do the same thing with this book? Uh, the goal of the book is not to sell it and make money. The goal of the book is actually to make a difference and add value to the B2B software community. And, uh, yeah, we felt like this was the best way to do it. Open source it, get feedback, get questions, allow people to contribute. It's going to be curated just like an open source project that would be in the software world. And, uh, uh, we're kind of pioneering new land here. So, uh, you know, we'll figure it out as we go, because there aren't really that many good examples of open source books. But uh, we're excited to give this a shot. And for those of you in the community out there, please comment, please contribute. We'd love to engage.
3: Yeah. And that was uh, the basis of how we wrote the books to begin with, is that we didn't want to make the, the books just a story about Bob and I or our experience. So we went out and interviewed a lot of other people, you know, whether they're CEOs, uh, VP of marketing, VP of sales and so forth, and really wanted to include their perspectives and their stories to enhance um, a, a, and provide even better advice. So one of the the key people that we've added in this uh, uh, in the open source version is uh, JJ, uh, who's actually a customer uh, uh, at uh, in the, one of the financial services companies so that we could provide even more clearly a customer perspective. And the other thing that we're trying to do, you think of in terms of a metaphor, is uh, we'd like this to be like uh, Wikipedia for finding go-to-market fit. Yeah. So that it's not just us, but it really becomes uh, um, content that other people are adding, contributing, and then commenting on.
1: Yeah, I love it because there's loads of links throughout it where people can link to podcast episodes that relate to certain topics or blogs you've written on things. So there is a lot of depth in this book. What is your new summary of finding go-to-market fit? So
2: what was interesting is we saw lots of practitioners put into place our three-stage model and go-to-market fit. There was a couple places where, frankly, they felt like they weren't getting everything they needed.
3: We we took the concepts, but then as we work with companies, this is the executable version. It's like the
2: recipe. The four-step recipe to to go-to-market finding go-to-market fit is the first one is catch the wave by nailing the customer journey. Step two is build the right surfboard and do that by building a repeatable go-to-market playbook. We talk a lot about how to build that repeatable go-to-market playbook and how to operationalize it, which is then step three operationalizing the playbook and step four is then use metrics to iterate and improve upon your playbook. And that's really sort of a key new part of the path to go to market fit is using metrics to iterate and improve on the playbook. Yes. One of the other interesting things is a big piece of feedback from uh, our readers was, Hey, how do we organizationally actually implement this? How do we actually implement a go-to-market playbook? How do we find go-to-market fit as it cuts across marketing, sales, customer success in different types of go-to-market models? And that was a question we got asked a lot. So That was one that we uh, took a big step in this revision and open source version to be able to address. How do you actually operationalize this within your team?
3: Bob makes a great point about uh, the organization um, because it turns out that, Uh, As we came out in the first book and uh, talked about the importance of the playbook and actually helping people construct the playbook, the the next obvious question became, well, you know, how do you actually execute it and set up the right organization? And and so a couple of uh, uh, key observations that came up is that finding go-to-market fit is a true cross-functional exercise. Yeah, totally. It's not something that can be just solved by the, saying, hey, VP of sales, you're responsible. VP of marketing, you're responsible. Or we hire the CRO who's responsible. But ultimately, it is a CEO activity because many times the ultimate answer for finding go-to-market fit is making some product change. And so that that's something that is uh, important here. So that's the the first is that the CEO owns responsibility because it's a true cross-functional exercise. And then the second part is, is that as in any cross-functional exercise, the handoff become, between the silos become very critical. And so in this uh, new version, we gave a lot more examples about these handoffs sort of key handoff metrics and how to make sure that you have the right alignment across the silos, because otherwise, we saw that as a common failure for executing the playbook.
1: You've expanded a lot in this new four-step model about the importance of the customer journey. So what is that, and what gave you the idea to focus on the customer?
3: Right. I mean, everyone knows that the focus of uh, any successful go-to-market is the customer. Okay, Because after all, the customer is the one who buys the product, uses the product, all that, not like investors or others. So people conceptually understand the importance of that. And uh, so in book one, we led with that. And uh, my experience with uh, startups was they said, yes, we definitely understand the importance of the customer. We're going to take it from their perspective. But as we started working with them, what I realized is is that uh, they weren't Really understanding the mindset of the customer, and uh, what we tried to do to sort of help the audience is uh, introduce uh, a person JJ who Bob worked very closely with at Mobile Iron, and uh, um, and actually uh, um, Mobile Iron helped make JJ's career um, and become one of the few managing directors at a major financial services company in IT and so forth. So. We went through was how did Mobile Iron help make him a hero? How to make him promoted into becoming a senior executive? And what was his concerns early on in picking a vendor like Mobile Iron? And so what he introduced is this concept of uh, risk asymmetry. In other words, as a customer, uh, he is much more worried about buying something that doesn't work than buying something that becomes, uh, 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 something that people really like and that it could make a big change. And I, I think this sort of risk asymmetry is what I notice is a big difference between how a founder looks at it because the founder looks at the upside, all the great things that can happen by adopting this product. And what JJ said and what I see with customers as well is, is that they're focused on the downside, all the things that could go wrong if they adopt a new product from a new startup and becomes a career limiting move for them. And JJ described how poor selections have led to career limiting moves for many of his colleagues and so forth. So as a result, customers start with this risk asymmetry. And JJ describes how great companies are able to break that asymmetry and show how by really adopting this product, it's really a risk mitigating step and at the same time can help transform the enterprise and as a result, become a strategic platform and make your champion into a hero. Baby Bob, you can just talk about how MobileIron made JJ into a superstar.
2: Yeah, this example of using JJ as a customer in going from an urgent pain to say, hey, I've got a mobile issue to you know, how does mobile iron become a strategic platform and transform his career? That felt obvious to us because we'd been through it. But what we found is as readers were taking the go-to-market and customer journey and trying to nail it down, that they kept sort of defaulting back to sort of what Salesforce stages to put in and what their salespeople were doing. So this idea of using a customer, and really looking at it through their eyes and generalizing it not just from like how do you find and win a customer but how do you take them from find to win to make them successful and if you look at what happened with JJ from a large financial institution he went from being able to solve an urgent pain which is how do I say yes to iPhone and native experience to you know how does mobile iron become a strategic platform inside this large financial institution And it did help make JJ's career. And that transformation from solving an urgent pain to winning the customer isn't the end. That's like the middle. And being able to get from there to how do you help make a customer a hero and get them promoted, that's how you really create successful customers with the stages of the customer journey that then drive your entire game playbook the metrics and other things.
3: And the end result was is that uh, you know, Mobile Iron was able to make JJ's company a mobile first company. In other words, his employees would use smartphones for work and with the same experience that they have with their consumer apps. And all this was powered enabled by Mobile Iron.
1: I love it. I love it. The metrics that sounds really interesting. Can you summarize some of those metrics?
2: One of the great things about building modern go-to-markets is startups and mid-sized companies can instrument everything in their go-to-market playbook and on their go-to-market. And the opportunity to measure and improve and drive that with metrics is obvious, but the question was like, how do you think about metrics? How do you structure the metrics? What types of metrics do you pay attention to? And it's actually a really confusing topic for most readers. Because if you go out and search on go-to-market metrics, you'll find 50, 100 blog posts on different go-to-market metrics and how to think about it. We distilled it all down to one slot. When it comes to figuring out the metrics, there's metrics around the go-to-market playbook and how customers move from stage to stage. There's team metrics in terms of how you look at the effectiveness of different teams. And then you pull it all together into sort of the two, two key metrics, which is what's your growth in terms of net new ARR and what's your sales efficiency? Which is your magic number? So another way
3: of looking at it, Helen, is, is that uh, um, uh, with all this sort of data-driven activity for sales, marketing, and so forth, uh, there are just hundreds of metrics. There's, and so as a result, people and, uh, are, are just getting overloaded with a cacophony of metrics. And the challenge is sort of how to put hierarchy and structure to it. And as Bob outlined, uh, uh, you have these top two metrics, which talk about, you know, what is your growth, what's your efficiency, and then you can keep breaking it down and understand this sort of hierarchy. And And so as a result, uh, uh, you know how each of the metrics are a tie with each other. Um, and, and that's what we introduced in this concept is to sort of explain and sort of provide perspective on how all these metrics work together.
1: So you mentioned the the magic number, and um, there's quite a detailed um, example in there. Can you tell us how do you get to the magic number?
3: There are many different variations of how you actually calculate the magic number. Um, The one I like the best is just simply what is your new uh, revenue that you're generating for every dollar that you spend on sales and marketing. And so what that means is uh, uh, I just look at like last quarter, uh, how much new revenue was generated and you divide it by how much was spent in sales and marketing that quarter. Now, some people say, well, you should look at the quarter, be- look at the sales and marketing expense the quarter before for the revenue, because there is a-, a lag in the contribution, all that kind of stuff makes sense. But when you're comparing hundreds of companies, it's much easier to just look at uh, just simply what is the new revenue generated that quarter divided by the sales and marketing expense for that quarter.
2: The takeaway for the listeners here is that this revision to the finding good market fit chapter that we call unlock uh, is really driven by feedback, engagement, questions, frustration, as we've engaged with the startup community and they've been implementing go to market fit inside their startups and clarifying the customer journey, building the go to market playbook, how do you operationalize it organizationally and then adding the metrics so you can then optimize around it. That's one big part of this. The second big part of this open source version of it is actually just to provide tools, examples, spreadsheets, powerpoint slides, like actual tools that founders, early stage sales and marketing people can actually use inside their startups to help unlock growth for them.
1: How many founders would you say you've helped so far with this model?
2: Wow. That's a great question. Uh, Tehi, I don't know. Um,
3: well, I mean, we,
1: we work with, uh,
3: yeah, a couple of hundred, yeah. I mean, this is based on working with them and seeing what's struggling and how to help solve their problem.
2: This gap between finding product market fit and unlocking growth is pervasive. And there's a ton of frustration inside the startup community. So I think, you know, yeah, I've probably had 60, 70 customers or companies reach out to me and work with them on go to market fit. Hey, you've probably had two or three or four times that. You know, there's a, there is a frustration and a need out there to be able to unlock growth and find go-to-market fit and what we found is people just needed the tools, the examples, the spreadsheets, the PowerPoint slides to be able to take these concepts and actually put them to work and to iterate on them inside their startup so they can find go-to-market fit and they can unlock growth for their business and their customers.
1: Mm. And what is the plan? So you're gathering all this feedback. You're encouraging people to comment, send in their stories, send in the examples of their go-to-market playbooks. When you've got all that, um, uh, you know, when it's been open source for a while, what are you going to do with it?
3: Well, I think the hope here is that this is a living document. You know, there's always new technologies, market changes, uh, others. uh, So as a result, there's always new types of go-to-market strategies that are emerging as well, too. And, and so we're hoping that uh, uh, just like Wikipedia, it's a living document whereby people can update and share um, uh, what works in finding go-to-market fit.
1: Brilliant. And just to mention the website again, for anyone that's missed it, it's unlocksurvival And all you have to do is put in your email and it's all completely free. Bob Tinker and Tehi Nam, thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to the Survival to Thrive podcast with me, Helen Croydon, and co-authors Tehi Nam and Bob Tinker. This podcast is aimed at enterprise startup leaders. If there's someone you know who would find this podcast useful, please share it with them, subscribe, or leave a review. That's how others find us.